we can sort of get started with art and labor then. So if the folks from that want to come up. Um, yeah, so hi, my name is OK Fox. Um, you know, how we, how, we, how we feeling on pronouns right now? I'm in my, I'm in my he, they era, um, firmly. How you feeling, David? He, him, he, him. Yeah, and Joey, how are you feeling? Uh, he, they, it's good. He, they. And I'm sorry, we haven't met. Philip. Philip, nice to meet you. He, him. He, him, great. Okay, so, um, I lived on this block for seven years. Um, I watched nowadays happen from the ground up, year after year. Um, and I have a lot of critical thoughts about it. Yes. <laughs> so let's, uh, let's get into that a little bit in my little um, tiny, bear with me a bit, pre-prepared remarks. Um, you know, I got, uh, who here uh, had a, a rent strike during the pandemic? No? Just me? Any? Oh, we got a couple. We got a couple. <laughs> Shout out to you, my fellow tenants, um, who, uh, you know, asserted yourselves and won historic um, eviction moratoriums. Um, that was us. We did that. Um, you know, thank you. I, I got uh, pandemic evicted, actually. And... Um, I actually, I, th I think a lot about, uh, you know, doing this show, Art and Labor, for, you know, about four years. Not as long as David, but... Getting there. Getting, getting there. there. <laughs> um, uh, this has always been on my mind, you know. I, I come from the, uh, you know, uh, community arts venue zone. Um, you know, I, I was um, part of Silent Barn, but more in the visual art aspect of it. Like, doing the zine fair, doing stuff like that. And, you know... Us at Silent Barn, we went through a lot of like struggle sessions about how to run an ethical quote-unquote venue. Um, these sorts of questions are um, always on my mind, and I know it's probably on the minds of everyone here who reads David's amazing newsletter. Um, but you know, welcome to Ridgewood. Welcome to my neighborhood. Um, you know, how how many of you live in Ridgewood? Like, oh, hello, hello, hi. We are neighbors. That's sick. Um, I technically live in Glendale now because of, you know, displacement, but, you know, I work at Topo's Bookstore. Um, you know, come by anytime. Let's talk. Um, you know, how many people read Time Out New York? Anybody at all? <laughs> 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 so, I, I don't know if people are aware of this article because if you're not from or living in Ridgewood, like, or, or in this area, you might not have seen... Um, Nowadays, was actually featured as um, the, the image for this article that went extremely viral um, about the, the coolest neighborhoods in the world. The coolest neighborhoods in the world. So uh, Ridgewood was number four. <laughs> and what, is, what does that mean for, for those of us who live there? Um, you know, uh, just think, think it through. Think about what, what Time Out New York is, right? Time Out New York is a... Uh, PR vehicle. It is not a journalism vehicle. It is not your neighbors. It is the real estate industry. It is the owner's uh, mechanism for promoting their stuff. Nowadays has a PR team. Um, a lot of people have do PR. I do PR for an NGO, um, full, full disclosure. Um, these are things we must be vigilant of um, in spaces like this. And uh, you know, part of that vigilance builds consistency in the neighborhoods that we're in. And, and those sort of questions are what I want us to think about um, before this panel. Um, you know, there was, there was a very similar venue to nowadays, right across the street from nowadays when I lived here. It was called Las Alcapurnias, and it was a Puerto Rican uh, spot that had DJ nights, film screenings for the Latino community who lived in Ridgewood their whole life. Um, it was used all the time, it was always banging. You know, so part of that, the, the, the goodwill that, that that community built towards the neighboring 
buildings to like get used to the loud noise, get you like these are all things that are like social bonds that need to be built. Um, we're all leeching off of those so social bonds. So I want us to like kind of think about that a little bit. And I'm sorry, it's not very funny, but it is just true. <laughs> um, so these type of critical things, um, I want us to think about. Um, if you work in finance, I don't want to see you. I don't want to know you. Um, <laughs> you know, these, these types of things are displacing my neighbors that I love and that made this neighborhood so interesting and so notable to the media, <laughs> who's here and watching, and we are it, and we have agency over it. Um, so that's my little spiel. Um, thank you for putting up with that. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. I, I'm very active in my local tenants union, and I encourage everybody else to do the same. Um, when we're talking about building power, which I hope is what we're talking about a lot tonight, um, because we have members of the um, United Musicians and Allied Workers. Did I get it right? Yeah. <laughs> Here, um, and that's super exciting. Um, and I, I, I want to think critically about uh, how we're building out these structures, and um, if it's effective, and and. Let's you know. Let's do a fucking Maoist struggle session, baby. Like let's like let's fucking go. You know, like let's get into the nitty gritty of how these things are run, and if it's working. Um, so those are some of the topics that I'm interested in, David. I'm really excited to hear from you as well, and then in particular your your newest piece um, about like you know the on the the coming recession. Oh yeah. Um, and how that's going to affect artists and. Um, you know, I don't know if you want to just summarize that for maybe people who haven't read it. Yeah, I'll be I'll be I'll be real brief on this. So yeah, my last newsletter that came out last Wednesday was sort of about the recession that may or may not be coming, may or may not be here. I guess it depends on what definitions you're using. But the main reason I wanted to write about it was basically because, I guess, coming from sort of the tech side of on, on, of like the music world, in that like I work my day job is at SoundCloud. I'm on our business strategy team. People are like, "What does that mean?" And I'm like great question, I ask myself that every day. It, bo it basically just means I do a lot of research, which is basically my newsletter, but instead of it going into like two and a half, like 2,500 words every two weeks, it goes into like decks and like Google Docs, which I guess is kind of the same thing, but like in a slightly <laughs> weirder context. Um, but the thing that reason I've been thinking a lot about this is basically because our, like SoundCloud doesn't make money, but like that's not that surprising. Twitch also doesn't make money. YouTube never really made money until I think very recently. Like most streaming platforms don't make money, and so we've basically and I'll give credit to like Sam, who's from M Money for Nothing, for really pointing this out on a podcast that, where they talked about the recession, looming recession back in the summer, which is that like most streaming platforms sort of came up in this era where basically money was really easy to get access to. There were very low interest rates. And so as that sort of changed over the last six months with the Federal Reserve raising interest rates, all of a sudden it's like money's really tight. It's why the crypto market is like shitting itself right now. It's sort of why like tech, it's why Facebook just announced like 13% layoffs and all this other kind of stuff. And you're like, what does that have to do with music? And it's like, well, 80% of like recorded music revenue comes from technology companies. So if those technology companies all of a sudden are like, whoa, we have to look at our bottom lines, how much money are we actually making here, that kind of potentially sort of like throws off a lot of the equation that we've sort of been working with the last 10 or so years with recorded music. And for myself, as someone that works at one of these companies, I'm like, oh, wait a minute, that also kind of like throws my job and sort of the jobs of my peers into a lot more precarity that previously never really sort of entered into the equation because like you kind of always assume that like Facebook, Microsoft, whoever are always gonna have money and always are gonna keep hiring people. I think that's why there's been a lot of shock around Facebook having layoffs because it's like they've never actually had real layoffs until basically today. Right, and, and the layoffs too are, di are directly related to consolidation of not only like power structures at Facebook but also of the tech itself. Um, so like, yeah, when we when we think about like organizing tech workers, um, tech workers make you know shitload of money, and they have no they don't like feel the incentive to organize as much. But here is a, a moment to agitate. Here is a moment to organize. Here is a moment to tell people like this is coming, and your job is not safe. Look at Twitter. That could easily happen to us. Um, so I mean that's like the way I would think about it. But then also. 
you know, I'm I'm kind of against the internet in general. Yeah, so <laughs> I'm like kind of a hater. So part of me is like, I, I get, I, yeah, I don't know. I think I, I know I said this to some friends like the other day, but I was like, I saw a lot of people. It's like people are like, oh, it's really sad that like the, what is it? The, um, like the folks at Twitter that did like content moderation or like the ethics teams got fired. And I was like, oh yeah, society needed more Twitter ethics people. Like that was a job that I was like, Fuck, I didn't realize that that's what we needed. We needed more ethics people at Twitter. So the fact that like those people were getting let go, it's like, again, sucks. I don't want anyone to lose their job. That's fucking awful. But it's also like... They were I, always seen as expendable. Yeah, but also it's like, I think they kind of are expendable, <laughs> like just to be honest. It's like, I don't know if we need those jobs. Well, it's like, think those about are with Facebook. Jobs. Okay, here's my pushback on that. Yes. The, with Facebook, you have, um, if you don't have con content moderation, literal genocides happen. Well, I guess like, and that is well, like, I mean, I guess that's, like, that's why. True. Yeah, but like, that's why I don't like the internet because I'm like, it's too big. People it's weren't meant big. to connect that it's much. It's too big. Now that I say that, you are reading. My, hopefully, you read my newsletter. If not, you can check it out. Um, <laughs> but yeah, which I guess is also one of the reasons why I usually don't. I've always thought the idea of live events, not to get too meta, are always a little bit funky because I'm like, I don't know who actually like reads my newsletter until I do something like this, or when people email me and I right. find out it's like, oh, like this is a I, yeah. I hope maybe the person that like actually did this will hear this one day, but like. In the pandemic, I actually remember like talking to like someone like on via Zoom, and they were like asking me questions of like, should I go to law school or should I like go work in the music industry? And they were in college, so like on one end, like behind one of their shoulders was a, gr a poster of Dookie by Green Day, great album. <laughs> on the other, on the other shoulder was like a bong, and I was like. Wait, okay, here's the thing. My advice is go to law school. It's fine. You working in music, <laughs> overrated, don't do that. Just go to law, it'll be fine. You'll just go do that. So, but also sometimes people, you said finance people, sometimes like people from finance are like, yo, David, I want to talk to you. Pick your brain. And I'm like, huh, I guess like, <laughs> I, that's why I'm sometimes like when I have events like this and actually getting to see your faces, at least like not trip, it is tripping me out a bit. But it's like nice because I'm like, okay, at least I get to see who the audience is that reads this and actually get a sense of like the, I don't want to say community because I really don't think there's a community around my newsletter really. And that's something I actually haven't cultivated kind of intentionally because well, I'm yeah. like, I don't yeah. know if I <laughs> want there to be a community around my singular thoughts on well, this Well, putting thing. yourself out there like this is like, it's, it is another way to build social bonds and to build community if that you want to. And I'd say you should because you're an amazing writer and that, and like you are my neighbor and we're all each other's neighbors and we should know each other. And it is hard to put yourself out there like that. Um, you know, I, I'm a visibly trans person. It sucks shit to put yourself out there. <laughs> but you kind of like have to do that if you are, if you do care about a liberatory politic that's that wants to change these fucked up industries and fucked up systems. True, true. I guess I just feel like I like feel like my newsletter exists in this one bucket <laughs> and my other organizing shit exists in other buckets. You always but say like, this to yes, me. Yes, and you always get pissed <laughs> when I say this, which is like fine. It's like I just how it's how I contextualize. It's not that it electrical, David. <laughs> it, 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 that <laughs> is true, it isn't. So <laughs> that David, is on me. I'm still working. David, the other it. thing this group of people is is if you know most of you raise your hand if you read Penny Fractions. Yeah, so pretty much the whole room, uh, more than half the room, this is a group of people who have self-selected themselves, they care about these issues, right? That's and so right. maybe yeah. they don't share, you know, certain other things that we call a community, but we're all here. We're a group of people because we care about streaming, we care about justice for music workers, we care about, you know, these issues, we care about tech. And and so I think it is a community in that sense. And we don't get to come together very often to talk about these issues and to put all our minds together. So I just wanna just wanna you know recognize that. And that yeah, that <laughs> Damn, was that's, that's amazing. <laughs> you did an amazing job organizing this event and it's and it's really cool to talk to everybody. Like I know like nobody here. And you know, <laughs> this is my neighborhood ostensibly. I used to live a block away. And that's like cool to meet everybody. Hello, I hope you're not too um, mad at me for being mad earlier. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, if I could could I hop to ask yeah. a question? Um to Joey and to Philip, I wanna know like how did you guys get started doing the organizing that you do amongst your respective groups? groups because I'm very curious about this even though I, I know the answer but like for the rest tell of the, the record for the record baby <laughs> uh, I had been involved in labor organizing for a while with other groups of people uh, like in my early 20s I worked at a hotel in Providence Rhode Island and got involved the night here um, organizing hotel workers um, in my own workplace and then you know helping broadly in, in Providence Rhode Island organizing hotel workers. Uh, so that's kind of my background. And then sort of simultaneously playing music. I mean, um, people are a fan of Downtown Boys, right? 
Downtown Ooh. Point's fucking rocks. Yeah. And and your solo work rocks. And Thank it, you. and it's very overtly communistic. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, it is. Uh, yeah. So that's where I actually met uh, singer Downtown Boys Victoria. Um, we both worked in that hotel. So uh, from the beginning, I think there was a merging of you know thinking about uh, music coming from 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 labor in terms of both how we were what we were talking about on stage, what we were writing in our songs, um, and I think there, there's a lot of bands that were doing that, particularly in that era um in like the mid 2010s i guess <laughs> when it's starting there's a kind of a, i think a wave of uh, punk bands that are more explicitly political um kind of coming up but even in that era i don't think we were um as focused maybe as we should have been on our actual labor and our conditions as musicians um but I think there was some growing consciousness of how awful it was as we were doing it for, for many years and like not getting anywhere financially, both within our band and with our peers. Um, so th there were certain flashpoints, I think, where we recognized we needed to organize um, collectively, and sometimes this happened quite successfully. I think it was 2017. Um, South by Southwest, there was a controversy because South by Southwest was um, their, their contract, right? This was right after Trump was elected, so people were talking a lot about deportations. And immigration, um, South by Southwest was threatening to work with ICE to like deport um, foreign artists who like broke South by's contract by like, you know, <laughs> doing a horrible insane. thing like playing a non-official South by Southwest show at nighttime, right? Um, so there was kind of an outcry about this on the internet that got it kind of galvanized, but of course, as we know, just kind of like, you know, complaining as individuals on Twitter doesn't do anything, but it, it coalesced into a collective effort to where we got, you know, thousands of musicians signed onto this big open letter asking South by Southwest to change this policy, and after about a week, uh, they caved, right? And this sort of demonstrated, I think, to me and to a lot of us that there's this power collectively that we do not have as individuals um, within this, this universe. So um, there are a few other cases like that, but uh, you know, when COVID first hit in March 2020, uh, a lot of us who had been involved in that South by Southwest effort and some other efforts were like, um, you know, we have this immediate need to get relief for music workers and other freelance workers. Like we were, recall two years ago when we were all getting that, you know, extra $600 in those unemployment checks. And for the first time, unemployment was extended to freelance workers, um, including musicians and journalists and other folks. Um, so we were kind of like, okay, we need musicians to be part of this effort pushing for this in the early days of COVID. But then we were also like, hey, we've been doing these things over and over again where we all kind of like get our team together and like do, okay, we need to get this one thing done or whatever it is. And we're like, we have time now, right? We're all kind of unemployed. We're not touring. Let's make this a, a, a more kind of like sustainable organization. So that's kind of where UMA, um, right, United Musicians Island Workers kind of came out of was that immediate crisis of COVID and then realizing they're like, oh, we have, we can have power. We can now take on things like Spotify, like streaming, like, you know, venues taking merch cuts, whatever it is that we can build out this organization to build this kind of uh, collective power. So summarize, right, it's kind of like involved in the labor movement, but yeah, the kind of the crisis of COVID, I think, kind of like really snapped a lot of us together into actually making the, the organization. And what about you, Philip? Yeah, ver very similar story <coughs> for me um, with Music Workers Alliance. Um, I also had a bit of background in labor, uh, less, through, less through my personal experience, more through my partner. Um, my wife was one of, the, one of the organizers and on the bargaining committee of the Harvard Graduate Students Union. And I, you know, uh, they were d during their first contract fight, um, and so I saw that up close. Uh, I was, you know, around uh, when she was coming home from meetings late at night or whatever, um, and participated, you know, on the picket line for the for the month long strike that they pulled off in uh, December 2019. So that was all very kind of radicalizing for me. And I was thinking through all this time, like, well, what would this mean for me as a musician, like? Um, you know, I'm a pianist and composer. Like, what does this look like for me? I, I didn't really know what was out there. Um, March 2020, you all know what happens. It's crisis moment. And um, basically, I started just having these, like, I made, like, a WhatsApp group. And I just put some of my closest music friends in it just so we could check in on each other. And we had these little Zoom calls, just like, what's going on? How's everybody doing? What, what sort of uh, emergency funding things are you hearing about? Things like that. 
And through one of those calls, somebody was like, have you heard of this Music Workers Alliance thing? Um, and I hadn't. Um, it was pretty new at the time still. Um, they were actually founded pre-pandemic um, in 2019 in a slightly different form. Um, but I went to a meeting. Um, I actually wrote an email, which was a very dumb email, uh, to their general account with a very bad idea for a petition that we should do and everything. And I was super like, yeah, this is what we should do. Well, I got a phone call from Mark Rebo, who, you know, if you don't know him, a great guitarist. He was one of the founders of MWA. And he basically spent an hour and a half on the phone with me explaining why my idea was stupid. Um, <laughs> but I was so impressed by his knowledge and by you know what he was explaining would be real viable solutions to some of the problems we were facing. So I just started going to the meetings. And um, before I knew it, I found myself on the steering committee. And, and like, like Joey was saying, um, you know, MWA was a, was a loose group of people at first. It was pretty informal. Um, it, it was originally started in 2019 as this offshoot of this thing called the New York City Artist Coalition. Well, 2020 was an opportunity to, um, you know, like Joey said, to, to formalize ourselves. So we got together, we wrote our bylaws, we, you know, became an official organization. Um, and uh, yeah, the rest is history. Um, yeah, I, that I'm from like kind of a similar background, but through visual art stuff. And I think there's like a lot to learn in parallel with visual art world and music world and also acting and how you know, film and TV are also are organized. I think all of these things are things that we think about on art and labor as related and stuff to like kind of learn from each other. Um, and so I worked for Art4 Magazine for four years. Um, and uh, at first I was part-time, then I got hired full-time just as a receptionist. And then a giant sexual harassment scandal broke out during the Harvey Weinstein stuff. Um, so what was that, 2017 or something? And I remember during that time, I was cold emailing unions, just being like, what do I do? Mm. What, who, who would unionize with us? Or like, how would we even do this? Yeah. And there was just way less resources, way less understanding um, that I think like there have been gains in this sort of understanding um, of how to, to do this stuff. But then, um, you know, if we look, uh, okay, so there's this writer um, I love, and he's also a musician. His name is Sam Lefebvre, and he's, um, also uh, a critical writer about like art stuff, and he wrote this great piece for the lab, um, which is like a San Francisco art collective thing um, with funding somehow, mysterious. Um, and <laughs> uh, it's it's a great piece called um, uh, whatever it's whatever it's a, a a beautiful grift or whatever the fuck it's called. And um, uh, the the grift is these. Um, institutions, right? That um, uh, there's a lot of people who organize around these um, institutions when they are doing something e egregiously fucked up, similar to um, South by Southwest, uh, you know, being fucked up. Like, uh, so like with, at the Whitney, there was there was um, this board member who was like uh, uh, part of this uh, tear gas company that was tear gassing protests. Domestic and abroad, imperial and you know, uh, suppressive, um, both. And you know, this was particularly egregious. And there was all these town halls. There was all these different groups. There was the Artist Coalition. There was like all these different coalitions that existed since the '70s. Some of them um, that were all talking about this issue. And it's it's amazing that they were able to like remove the board member and then you know it was also in tandem with like the sacklers being on their their names on stuff and getting that shit taken down like getting statues taken down it was like all that sort of era of organizing um targeting these particular institutions um i'm wondering what the limitation of that is and i think the sam lefebvre piece is so interesting because he's kind of gaming out and he he's kind of on the same page as david graber actually before he died, um, wrote a series of essays for Eflux, um, kind of linking art spaces to the police state and the surveillance state. And it becomes this kind of like, okay, what do we actually want? And is things actually working? And yes, we can mobilize through social media in these different ways, but like, I'm always thinking about ways to build power 
in where we live and how do we do that and how do we expropriate these venues to truly be for the public and not just like tokenizing us, not just extracting from us. Um, how do we game this stuff out and be a little more critical? And you know, I, I was part of an organizing committee for a little while for this, um, it's like an art union, it's like an artist union and it's kind of similar. And my little political bit about this is like, maybe we should start thinking about chapters, right? Similar to how the DSA has chapters in different areas based on where people live. And I'm wondering if that's something that either of your groups are interested in building out. And if you thought about that. Okay, Yuma's already done that, right? You want to talk about that? Yeah, so we, we, we've done chapters. Um, it's a pretty open process. And oh, so know, how do people it, it, start a chapter and what chapters exist now? I'm so curious. Yeah, so I'd say the most active chapters right now are in LA and Philadelphia, um, but we have also have had chapters in Chicago and in New York. Um, for instance, the LA local is doing things like collecting uh, data, um, survey data of like venue payouts and just sort of like sharing that information, which we all know as musicians or performers, is often just like hyper secretive for some reason. We're even si the bosses obviously want right. to be secretive about it. We're even secretive with each other, like how much money we make right. um, at those venues. Well, you know what the merch cuts are, what the buyout is, whatever this, this these kinds of things. So, um, you know, they are doing some of that local work of yeah, engaging people at the local level, engaging musicians um, in their day-to-day -day experience, in their day-to-day -day workplace um, to get them moving. And I, I would agree with you. I think that is ultimately the work that has to be done. And that's how, you know, for instance, the American Federation of Musicians was built up when it was right. an extremely powerful organization as they were going venue by venue <laughs> in every city in the United States and in Canada organizing the musicians who work there. And it was, of course, a different kind of format because you'd have musicians kind of with like a, you know, more formal relationship with a single employer or the single set of employers within that city, a bit different now. Um, but right, that's how they built the thing up into, you know, 200,000 person organization that could like go on strike for two years in the 1940s was going city by city and venue by venue. It's a really hard thing for us to do and kind of like rebuild within our kind of universe of the music industry, but it's probably, I would agree, is kind of like what needs to be done to really get right. to the scale we need to take on giants like Sony and Live Nation and these sorts of things. Yeah, and it also helps to decentralize power in within the union itself, right? It, it's, it's a way for like, I mean, like, because we run into snafus in, in my local tenants union where it's like, <laughs> There's those of us who live on the other side of town and everything is centralized in Ridgewood and some of us live in Glendale, you know what I mean? Like, where it's like, we do talk about like, oh, maybe we should just have a Glendale chapter or like maybe, you know, there's these, there's these ways to kind of like redistribute the work too and like, uh, yeah, I'm thinking about like, uh, like leader, how leadership organically happens through like founders and people who like find the thing and like how to redistribute that labor a bit. Um, I think is like a part of that. But yeah, Philip, do you Yeah, well, we, we haven't done chapters because, I mean, I, I agree uh, bureaucratic power should be distributed, but you need some power before you can distribute it. So <laughs> uh, we, uh, it's, I, I'm not saying we have none, but uh, I, I personally feel we have a, a bit more work to do before we can, and, and a bit more members to recruit, frankly, uh, just out of, in all honesty, before we're at a point where we can start genuinely having sort of self-sufficient chapters. Um, we have one steering committee which uh, m a super majority of people live in New York. Um, not everyone. So we, are, we, we don't like, have a strict definition in MWA that we're like a New York organization or we're not. But basically like the leaders, most of the members, a lot of the actions, the, the, certainly the like, political um, and legislative campaigns have all been New York based. Some of the work is broader than that. We've worked on some national issues, some copyright issues. So we've had people involved from all over the country in, in those campaigns. Um, and yeah, you know, there's, there's if, if someone wants to get involved from anywhere, totally, totally pro, pro and open to that. Uh, but yeah, we've just not been in a place where we, you know, we're, we're trying to sort of distribute the work um, around different campaigns and around different areas of work rather than around different locations uh, or cities at this point in time. But I, I totally agree that I, you know, 
when the time is right, when the power is built, when the capacity is there, I would love to see, um, I would love to see a New York version, an LA version, and so on. And and frankly, you know, there's there's a day that I I think the MWAs and the UMAs That's and whoever right. else is out there of the world should should all be together. <laughs> um, you know, when the when when the time can happen and when the circumstances are right. Um, mm. Yeah, I yeah. mean, oh, sorry. I'm gonna say one thing I've been thinking about rec recently that I saw there was a story where um some like contractors at YouTube who do like music um oh my god what is it they like I guess like are content moderators for like you for like YouTube music like or like just filed to like a uh, union election at for uh, with like CWA the Communication Workers of America mm -hmm. which is like really exciting to me I like put in my newsletter if anyone knows any people that are doing that please let me know because one it's like really interesting to me because like unions of like record labels and sort of that part of the music industry it's like not there aren't really that m much unionization in that part of the industry so to sort of see unionization on the sort of the tech side of the music and of like sort of the music tech sort of side was also really interesting to me because I don't really know so something that I've sort of faced in my sort of my own just sort of day job is that like people want to say we should do x or we want to do y or like we have these thoughts and I'm always just kind of like but I don't even know what like my peers want, much less I don't want to pretend I can speak for my peers without knowing what they want. Mm -hmm. And so often it's like when I see Nason, this is why in my newsletter I mention basically any kind of music union stuff I can because I'm like, I want to know what your part of the industry is facing because I can only just read about this stuff and sort of extrapolate only so far. But if I can actually like hear directly from those workers then I can kind of get a better sense of like, Okay, so what is your struggle? Like, how does that actually relate to all of our sort of struggles? Because sometimes it's like can feel pretty disparate and feel pretty like disconnected. But when I actually sort of see that organization start happening, I'm like, okay, there are like more nodes to sort of to, to there are more like nodes to identify and more things that can kind of like start to me making a more clear constellation. Because otherwise, I feel like you can kind of like feel like, oh, I'm just sort of fighting for amongst my like fighting for our own sort of thing rather than sort of thinking about everyone else that's sort of like in our bigger ecosystem. Yeah, but then it gets back to like the problem you brought up before, which is that these things, these platforms are too large, and then you you have a thing where if they're firing content moderators, and then suddenly there's a um, a military coup in Myanmar and a genocide, um, then the fa Facebook and YouTube and like all these big platforms, they become what Zephyr Teachout calls um, uh, unaccountable governing agencies, and so. These, these agencies that like, have so much control over our lives that we cannot control the means of production of um, ultimately should just be destroyed. But <laughs> then it's like you're talking to this real person whose job this is. <laughs> so it's like... How yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I, I cannot square that circle. I was trying to square that circle earlier. I still cannot square that circle. I've been trying to. Um, I feel like I can see so much... But, this is, but you're right that this is a conversation that we need to have collectively with these types of workers because like, I'm sure they fucking agree. Yeah, I mean, that's sort of the thing is that I feel like quite often, again, like sort of on this side of... I don't know, I guess I'm imagining a lot of like lines and things, but like in, like in some part of it, it's sort of like hard to kind of know what it is that like we are trying to fight for when we mm -hmm. all are trying to, we all exist in such different spots. Because I think of a company like Spotify, Spotify I think is like 7,000 employees. And it's like, if you're on like the digital ads team on Spotify and your day job is just to check out how much like, like basically to see the click through on the ads on like, or I guess maybe like the listens on the ads that happen on, the, on like the free version of the app. What does, like, how are you relating to musicians? I have no idea, actually. <laughs> and I, I mean, I really don't. And I actually am, like, really curious to hear from those not. people. <laughs> to, well, maybe they're also, maybe they're musicians themselves. That's, like, true, another true. thing that quite often people that work at these places are musicians or actually do have other sort of things that they also want to do. And this is just sort of their day job, nine to five. And maybe that actually has some impact on how they're thinking about this stuff. And but, how they get hired. Yeah. and But it's, like, until, like, you can sort of have that combo and sort of see that stuff sort of more, like, explained out, it's just kind of, like, hard to me to like sort of tease out which I guess is kind of I guess to that point earlier about the community mm -hmm. even though I guess I said I was sort of running away from it something <laughs> that I like did have done with my newsletter over the years is like I always say like if you just email me I'll grab a drink I don't really care with who like if you're like a college kid I'll do it if you're like a banker guy I'll do it I don't really care just because I like talking to people <laughs> and I also like getting perspectives of people of different people because I end up sort of learning so much more than I do just reading about this shit every day because I like do that and I just get annoyed reading stuff. But like when I actually talk to people and I get to have those combos, I find it much more rewarding. You oh, might yeah. even find yourself on one of these panels that's one right. day. That's, <laughs> that's kind of how I ended up here. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that, yeah, I mean, that was part of the reason why I was like really excited to like sort of have this panel because it's sort of like 
bringing together like multiple different musician groups and sort of thinking like to you said earlier about the constellation of sort of like the different projects that folks are sort of working on and how those different things relate to each other is like really exciting to me because I think like when I was writing about a lot of this stuff like five-ish years ago I like learned about a lot about the AFM the American Federation of Musicians like a, the history of that union as Joey was sort of speaking to earlier and was like damn, it'd be like much easier to like talk about this stuff if I had a better sense of like what is it that like musicians actually want because I would like read the press releases from the AFM and I'm like, oh, well this isn't really like speaking to at least the musicians that I know or the struggles that they're going through. But as soon as Yuma and the MWA started appearing, it was like, oh, okay, cool. It's like I actually started hearing you guys speaking for much more things that are like much more contemporaneous and much, not. I guess more in the world that I'm sort of operating in, because obviously the AFM and the tens of thousands of musicians they represent are speaking for someone pr pretty clearly. Well, I think also, like, I think it's pretty clear that people want accountability from the venues. Like, that, like, comes up over and over and over again. And, like, that, and, like, that was something we were very intentionally having, like, fucking five-hour-long fucking struggle sessions about Liz. <laughs> I'm looking at you. Looking at Silent Barn, because Silent Barn was a collectively run venue in Bushwick, and people, all sorts of people from New York or, like, who have made New York their home, like, really valued it as this, like, kind of, like, living organism that, like, kind of anybody can slot in and get involved in in some way eventually. It was, you know, there's, you know, problems with gatekeeping and problems with all this shit that we, like, we had these intentional meetings to try to like work out and figure out and like build out transparency, build out that shit that we're talking about where it's not just coming from like pressure. It's not just coming from pressure from below. It's also coming from above and the people who consider themselves organizers of the space being like, well, how do we make our shit transparent and how do we like do this without like liabilities and like, I don't, you know, like all this like shit. Um, and how do we make collective decisions? How do we like make the structure to make the collective decisions? Like all of that was like a lot of work and ultimately like was kind of untenable, um, but not really from us, more so from the structures at large, like getting displaced long, like uh, because of rising costs and uh, you know, rent issues and like, you know, how do we own these buildings? How do we do that? How do we get the money for that? Maybe these fucking, uh, sympathetic finance bros can give us a fucking hand with that. Um, but uh, <laughs> that's kind of like my thinking about it is that people do want community and people do treasure their neighborhood coffee shop that I fucking work at. And like, you know, these things like make consistency in a neighborhood and it's kind of like, a, it's a little nationalist, so be careful. But I always call, I joke, I call myself a Queens nationalist. And I know that's very loaded and kind of racist, but it's like, <laughs> So true that I love Queens and I love everything about it and I love Brooklyn too and I, I want to say I, I feel like the everybody. first time you said this you said New York City nationalist which I, okay, like which yeah. like to be fair it's like an ideology is one that I'm like okay I like understand that one pretty clearly um, yeah and that comes from being proud of our unions that comes from being proud of everything that makes the city what it is baby New York number one let's go <laughs> <laughs> I'm very. I want to ask Joey a question here about on this topic, though, um, and, and get your thoughts on this because I think there's a real tension with music workers specifically regarding what you're talking about, which is that the vast majority of us make our money on the road, the vast majority of us pay our rent not where we live, not in our quote unquote community. Right. We, we make our rent in a place we don't know, in a place we frankly don't want to be. We'd rather be at home in our own bed. And a Animal Collective couldn't do it, so how the fuck? Yeah, well, there's. I mean, I'm sure you've all seen. There's been a whole cascade of 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 every small, mid-level, big-level acts who canceled tours recently. That's a whole other topic which we should get into. But just this issue of like, you know, a union. We 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 idealize unions, us labor folks, as you know, places where we build community, um, places that are rooted in our communities, in our in our workplaces, in our schools you know, in our, in our religious spaces and so on, as, as being a part of that social fabric. And yet, our workplace is different, in a different city every night. It's sometimes on, on a different continent. And so how do you think about that problem in the organizing that, that you, you know, are, are, are conceiving of and doing at UMA? 
Yeah, it's definitely a huge issue. And I think anyone who's been a touring musician for some amount of time has, yeah, had this disorienting experience of like lacking community, but simultaneously like building community, like nationally and internationally. You just have this weird <laughs> network of people that you know everywhere. And it's kind of a beautiful thing. Um, I think when I'm thinking about how we transform the music industry, the fundamental issue, like, the rest of the economy, right? The music industry is not that fundamentally different than other industries. Mm -hmm. It's corporate uh, monopolization. Mm -hmm. right. It is the redirection of all resources to the absolute top. So in the music industry, we're looking at these mega corporations, these monopolies like Live Nation, like mm -hmm. Ticketmaster, like YouTube, like Spotify. The only way we take these things on is by like building power at a national level or internationally which is, of course, much easier to say than is to do. I <laughs> right. think we have to work from a local level up. But I think you can see glimmers of how you can do it. For instance, um, when we had the Justice of Sp at Spotify Day of Action, you know, this was a single day of action, but it was coming out of a lot of organizing and it spawned even further organizing, which I know um, you're at the Spotify office and a, a lot of folks from Music Workers Alliance were. Um, you know, we had simultaneous actions at Spotify offices in I think like 16 cities from like Melbourne, Australia, um, to I think in Sao Paulo in Brazil, um, all over Europe, all over the United States, all simultaneously on the same day. And, you know, we didn't like win from that, but it's kind of a glimmer, I think, of like what it's going to require, mm -hmm. the level of organizing it's going to require um, and kind of connections is going to require to actually take on um, these kinds of, uh, of corporations, the kind of alliances we're going to, 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 to need to make. I mean, we were talking before about right the content moderators at YouTube and whether those jobs should even exist or not. I mean, I think it's a classic contradiction in labor that exists, yeah. you know, like mm -hmm. between the yeah. like trades unions who want to build the like terrible developments and then like <laughs> whether it's going to, who's it going to displace, what it's going to do environmentally. But at the same time, there are progressive factions within the trades who are pushing for like a Green New Deal where it's going to be, you know, good right. union jobs for those trade workers and simultaneously like broader public housing and, you know, buildings that are positive for the environment. And simultaneously going to increase extraction in the global south. So it's like, yeah, what you're talking about with international scaling is, is you know, very important when it comes to, to any of this, like, kind of, like, national talk. Because then are we doing the work of the uh, United States Imperial Project or are we doing the work for the liberation of all workers um, internationally? Right, yeah, I guess what I'm getting at is I think <laughs> the coalitions are not only possible, but are necessary. Like, I think it's impossible without kind of creating these kinds of coalitions. Um, I think an effort that we're seeing right now, which does see some of these coalitions, is uh, American Economic Liberties Project recently launched uh, with a broad coalition of other progressive advocacy groups, um, anti-monopoly groups, some labor groups. UMA signed on to this a couple weeks ago, some musicians... Uh, um, effort to like break up uh, Live Nation and, and Ticketmaster, right, and kind of like well, bring this. Did Congress already legislated Ticketmaster, right? Well, ha what happened with that? I'm kind of confused about that actually, because th there was like legislation to to stop the fees, right? That all. Ha that, I'm not crazy, right? That fucking happened, right? Yeah, I'm not. Maybe <laughs> you can answer this better than I can <laughs> where it's at right now. I, but I, I believe. Well, maybe we're talking about different things, but I believe something has not passed. Uh, but I think what Joey's talking about is the merger uh, that is currently taking place. Well, there was a class action lawsuit, and every single fucking person who has used Ticketmaster got um, free tickets. This happened. This fucking happened. I swear to God, you guys. I do not remember this happening. <laughs> yeah, so I, 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 think <laughs> I think there's been various government actions against Live Nation Ticketmaster, but I think the idea of sort of like breaking up them as a monopoly. Yeah. It has obvious, they still exist as a monopoly. So anyway, so there's like, I think right. there's a broad coalition right. we're seeing developing um, of groups with like divergent interests in some senses, but which Quite. are are <laughs> uniting in to in this fight, right? Um, I'm gonna oh yeah. sorry, I'm gonna say just a hop. I'm gonna say one thing I've really liked about learning and being in music and like reading about and like talking to folks like yourselves is that like the coalitions that form around different music sort of like struggles are really interesting because something that I feel like often gets sort of under like 
Oh, sorry. I saw I'll poke Sam at this in the next pod. Um, but like <laughs> songwriters, there are actually a number of different songwriter organizations and groups that have popped up over the last couple of years, which is actually kind of why songwriting as sort of like a thing in the music industry, like big, like sort of like billboard when you think of the music industry, that side of it is because there have been groups like the 100 percenters and other like songwriting organizations, like songwriter organizations that have been fighting for the rights of songwriters the last few years mm -hmm. as well, which I found like really sort of interesting because <laughs> um, I found really, I found really interesting because it's sort of like, oh, I never really would have thought about songwriters having different interests than like record, like the recorded, uh, like the recorded artists and thus like publishers and labels sometimes aren't always aligned with each other and it's sort of these sort of like different contradictions within the industry itself or things that like until you sort of start digging deeper you don't really see because it, it kind of can just feel like there are only three i mean there are sometimes only three companies but even within that sometimes those things are not as easily aligned as one might always assume true <laughs> <laughs> like and there that's how like tears union tears like um displace like historic actions like if we look at the like um, IATSE uh, historic um, strike authorization. It got like what? It got like 96% of the membership to vote on it. And how that got broken up was like a tier system of like these type of workers get the shit end of the stick. It's always the, the low end. Like, and then the there's like buyouts for like the middle manager, middle kind of positioned or more senior members of the union. Um, like, you know, those types of struggles, like, exist within union structures that are, are always going to be weird snafu. Even within Patreon, we talk about this, right? Like, <laughs> with Patreon, um, there's, like, an old art and labor with me and David talking yeah. about Patreon. Yeah, which is, which is now <laughs> funny to me because now I think, about, again, Patreon's a company that definitely doesn't make money. It's, like, definitely <laughs> one that, like, really doesn't again sorry i guess i really am like some of these don't some of these things don't need to exist there are like a lot of tech companies and things where i'm like we don't really need this as a thing well i will say this is why you know in our, we art and labor we have a, a free school it's called constructing the real and we did a unit um called break stuff uh, referencing the limp biscuit song <laughs> um and uh it, it we read the book um by gavin what's his name called uh um, breaking things at work, which is like a history of the Luddites, and there's you know a popular misconception about that the Luddites were anti-technology, but they were not. They were anti-manager um, and owner control of their tools and their technology. So that's like something that we start to think about when we think about like the people who control these platforms. Um, they control the means of production, and we kind of don't. <laughs> I'm gonna say I actually right. I, I, oh. <laughs> well, I think that's a little more complicated than you just well, said. It, totally, actually, because I think what where money has been made in recorded music for a very long time, and it's true, it was true before the internet, but it's true also in the internet is is in distribution, right? And so th those companies control the means of distribution, but they don't actually control the means of production. Band leaders control the means of production. They decide, I mean, when you think about it literally, they decide where you're going to record, when you're going to record, how much it's going to cost, how much people are going to get paid. That's the means of production of a, of a, of a piece of recorded music. So I, th I just wanted to throw that in there because I, I think this gets, I think that's a really important thing to acknowledge in all the conversations about that we have about, you know, streaming justice and all, all this kind of stuff, like s making sure we're clear about what's production and what's distribution, because I think those get confused and it muddies well, the Well, I would even push lot. back that it's production, it's extraction uh, to a certain point, and maybe David could speak to the actual numbers that these tech companies make, but they're not actually making money is the point, right? And so they're, they're it, 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 the production isn't like production in this traditional sense, it's, it's extraction. It's like they're, they're making money off of us in, in ways that we do not have control over, meaning our data, our cell phones, our shit. Um, and that's like a kind of extra, I totally agree with you otherwise though, yeah. <laughs> For sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're making money all, all over the place, both on the music <laughs> and, on, and, and also on the users on the, on the but platform. But ultimately it comes back to speculation, which David, I don't know. You should jump in because I know I'm oh, like no, I'm kind of an idiot. The I'm, I'm enjoying the back and forth. <laughs> I'm enjoying the back and forth. <laughs> I'm kind of a fucking idiot when it comes to these like spacs. Can you like just explain? Oh uh, well, no, we don't just have about spacs. I mean, or like like any of this like sort of like well, um, no, I mean like the financialization of um like financial speculation in these 
tech platforms and the, and the music industry and all these different I, and the I, art industry. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess like again, like for music and again, like being very specific to just music streaming. It's like music streaming. It's like YouTube, Spotify, all that kind of stuff. And I, I'm excluding Bandcamp and sort of like more digital stores. The digital stores just kind of operating similar. Have you similar mean Epic's Bandcamp? You mean a, a Fortnite? Uh, property Bandcamp. Um, I really uh, our, like our fun community thing that we all loved got bought by a big tech company. Oh my god! I will I will say that like yeah I kind of like what memory hold that I'll be honest. Um, but yeah no episode on it. Yeah no I well I like I memory hold it because I just like don't want to remember the bad things some days. Um, so yeah no but for like streaming platforms themselves it's like they don't really make money which is I guess. Like when I say like they aren't profitable, like they like they aren't profitable, and I yes I've been thinking about this a lot more as, as I was saying earlier because all of a sudden a lot more of them are sort of getting are seeing like them have to do layoffs and have to sort of see their post strings tightening. I do kind of feel like in a way like a little bit more wanting to sort of keep poking at that a little bit just so mm -hmm. it's sort of like they don't it's like they don't I mean they do have potentially like the money to like keep throwing at stuff, but like they also probably don't because like there's a reason why Facebook laid off 13% of their staff. It's like mm -hmm. because they like I mean the reason is why because like they <laughs> want to be um, the metaverse. That. Yeah, <laughs> that's all that dumb shit. Um but um yeah, anyway, Do you I feel think like I'm like meant rambling. to be profitable. I guess is the question right. for me cuz it just seems you, like <laughs> financialization <laughs> economics is does not like Amazon wasn't profitable and right. like profitable. Netflix like, isn't what profitable. the hell does it mean? It's like Jeff Bezos, the richest Uber's guy. Uber's not Earth, profitable. But it's like, yeah, it's not profitable until like a few years ago, but they like control the world economy. Um, so yeah, it seems like with some of these, yeah, like Uber is another classic example. It's like hasn't been profitable, but it's like decimated, right? Like cab unions all over the world. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. What does it mean to be profitable? Does it mean like, yeah, actually, the like uh, addition adds up on the paper. Does it mean like the CEOs and the shareholders are taking their dividends home, it's, or it becomes you know, profitable to asset holders? It becomes profitable to car manufacturers. It it becomes profitable yeah. in these other weird it, ways. It's, it's an important question because when we're talking about streaming justice stuff, for instance, it's uh, I mean the thing that's often levied as is like, oh well, that's you know impossible for Spotify to like pay you more because they're not profitable, and it's you know it's like, well, is it our is it our job to make this company profitable? Like, if they can't... <laughs> if those if you, damn finance yeah, guys well, make up the number for us. Come on. If you can't pay your workers, should your business <laughs> exist? Or probably not. Um, and it, it, but I think the deeper thing is it's like we're just not powerful enough to make these tech companies and whatever calculus they're using to determine whether there exists enough... Um, we're not powerful enough to demand that like our wages are accounted into that. Um, so like right. to bring it back to like a trades union example, I think about this sometimes. Like you know, a city is giving, uh, a, a throwing a ton of public money at a new development or giving a giant tax break to a new development. Like the trades unions in many cities are powerful enough that it is accounted into that amount of money mm -hmm. that just like fake yep. public money they're throwing at it. It's not yep. like profitable. Um, the trades, those good union jobs are factored into how much money needs to be thrown. And it gets built thing. into city budgets. It gets built right. into taxpayer money. It, right. It, that, like, it, it gets because thrown the, in that way. Exactly. So those workers are powerful enough to do that. We mm -hmm. as musicians are not powerful enough to when the calculus is being determined to whether, you know, Uber exists for like Uber drivers or, you know, um, music workers in the case of like Spotify or these streaming platforms. We're not powerful enough to demand that like we're accounted for. I guess to synthesize calculus. some of what we're all talking about, like, um, and to bring it back to transparency stuff, I think like something that helpful that all unions can do, whether your job should fucking exist or not, is advocating for like transparency in your budget, in your company's budget. Yeah. Because like getting back to like the PR stuff too. The amount of money your fucking job spends on shitty Instagram ads that just go <laughs> to the fucking Mark Zuckerberg's pocket for no reason and don't actually have a return. All that shit is like also its own like financial speculation game that doesn't make any fucking sense. The amount of money that consultants, there's a there's a budget in all of your jobs. There is a budget carved out for consultants. That shit is just code for the CIA assets in the government to get their little worms wait, in wait, there. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on, hold on. I want to say that's slightly different. Some job consultants are just people that left the company and want to get paid a higher tech. 
That's like a wholly different thing. That's a very different thing. They're playing it on both sides. And yeah, I, respect oh, I that. always say I always say that because that is a very like every industry has their own like kinds of consultants and their own kind of grifts of consultants. And like music is one where it really oh, is like, yeah. oh well, we, I just want to go do something else. I want to have my own fa- like startup something, but I also kind of want to sk- still get paid fifty thousand dollars for three months of work. So I'll just consult for a few months, and all of a sudden that's how you end up getting here. So. Right. And it's also how artists get paid. Um, <laughs> I'll say like as someone who works in PR for an NGO, like we paid this like trans equity consulting group to like do an art show. We just gave them like a shitload of money to just like print like maybe like $500 worth of things and like throw an event and they like, probably got like $20,000 or something like insane number, you know? And it's like, God bless them. Let them have it. <laughs> but I will say, I mean, to go back to what you were saying about the transparency of sort of, like, I mean, so like New York State just had, like, just sort of enacted a law where you have to have transparency of salary and all that stuff on job listing, which is really great. But yeah, no, being able to actually sort of see, like, the budgets of a company or be able to sort of see how much people are making, all of that stuff, you're right, is kind of a very good bare minimum to kind of work with. I remember when I applied for, I guess it was, oh, the lights got bright. Um, I, Does that mean I, we're almost up, maybe? What time is it? Oh, I think we've been maybe going for an hour. Yeah, almost. then we could probably get ready to wrap then, I yeah. think. Yeah, well, let's do our final thoughts and plugs and all that shit. Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> then, yeah, then I feel like my final thought is, yeah, like, no matter where you work, like, having transparency over sort of, like, your salary, transparency over budget, fighting and trying to get more insight into that is super, super important. So, like I was saying, my, like, first job that I had... Um, no, the first job. Sorry. God damn it. Sorry. The <laughs> last job that I had before I worked at SoundCloud, I remember looking at the union contract to sort of see what the base pay was for like a job that, like for the equivalent job that I was applying for. Just because otherwise it would have been like, I don't know how much this job, like, actually pays so i just like went to look at the union contract and was like okay it's gonna pay at minimum 70k and i'm like okay cool that means like i not only know i'll get this i'll get healthcare. it's like i could also just like read in the fucking contract like here's like the base minimum that i should expect from this so mm-hmm. that was also really good mm. um yeah i mean uh, any other like final thoughts or plugs or things like that joey yeah i guess i'll give it a Plug for our organization uh, for you. <laughs> you can go to unionmusicians.org. Get and involved. Sign build up. a chapter. New if York, baby. Number one city yeah, in the world doesn't up. have a chapter. What's up with that? Let's fucking There go. is a chapter. <laughs> oh, it's right there. I saw my friends. So <laughs> well, yeah, you're saying there's no chapter. They're right chapter. in front of you. Yeah, it's right there. Formalize. The formalize, you freaks. Um, <laughs> It's there. Uh, okay, good, good. Go to the website. If, if, you're, if you're not a music worker, you don't have time to get involved in the organization. We're also running our first big fundraiser right now so we can like hire some staff people to like compensate people for this work and expand ourselves. Um, so you'll see the fundraiser on the website too. But, you know, join up. Give us some money if you can. And, yeah, thanks for doing this. Thank you, David. And Someone said, what's it called out there? It's called Union of Musicians. So the website is uh, unionofmusicians.org. Cool. And yeah, MWA's website is musicworkersalliance.org. And I, but I want to make a more specific plug um, for an initiative we, we just launched. Uh, we ran a six-month campaign this year um, and got something passed in the, in the New York State budget, which um, allows musicians... Uh, actually, we, the, the language we got in the laws is uh, independent arts contractors. So actually, anybody who is an independent arts, arts contractor can theoretically apply to this, and it should work out. Um, but basically, there's a there was a uh, program that the state had a two hundred million dollar program to uh, uh, offer grants to businesses to new businesses that could show losses due to COVID. So all you got to do is basically submit your expenses um, between a certain time period, and you can get uh, reimbursed for those expenses. Um, it's very, it's pretty simple. Cool. Very and what cool. we were able to do is basically change the wording of the law to include independent arts contractors as an eligible business. So it's a little complicated, um, if, if, but if you, if you are a musician or another artist of some kind, you should definitely go check this out. It could literally be a free $5,000 for you with not that much work uh, from the state. It's free money from the government. Yeah, and you, do, you, need to be an, you need to either have an LLC or a DBA, but you can make one now um, and still be eligible. So there's a link to that um, on the top of our website. If you click on New York State Seed Fund, um, on the MWA website, you can see all that. And yeah, we just, people should definitely apply because the money's there for us and we should take it. Yeah. Cool. Apply to cool. all government. I'm going to plug government benefits. Apply to SNAP. You probably all fucking qualify for SNAP <laughs> unless you have like a big tech job. But like, just like get on that shit. It's there for us to ha- like to help low income people. And we're like, a lot of us are fucking low income people and should be using these things that like, you know, 
organizing, advocacy groups, unions, all these people organize and won these things. Like, you know, that's if we're going to learn anything tonight, everybody, hello class, is what did we learn? We learned that we need to put pressure when there's a crisis. And when the people who are able to put pressure when there was the pandemic crisis got returns, they got rewards. And so we need to be thinking going into a recession, how we're going to do that. If your job feels whack, even if it's like, oh, we're like a fucking trans POC, like really cool diversity, equity, inclusion. We have all that like space, but it still feels weird. Like organize anyway, who cares? Like, like you know, it's gonna, nobody's immune. Like as much as they, they say the words like, we love you, we value you, you're a family. Nobody's immune to, to, to being uh, displaced from their job, displaced from their home. So it's, it's in our best interest to, to do that. And with, with that said, I'm going to do my little plug for um, my podcast is doing an anime music video festival. <laughs> and if anybody wants to join <laughs> our anime music video festival, you can hit me up. And that is just good old-fashioned fun that's going <laughs> on all month. <laughs> um, so thank you, David. And congrats on an amazing five years. Five more years, David. <laughs> five more years. <laughs> Thank you. Are, are we gonna take a break? We... Yeah. So, um, yeah. Everyone, go grab a drink and let's have fun, everyone. Yeah, let's grab a drink and we'll be back in five let's or have so. Fun. Let's have fun. Let's have fun. Lots of fun. Let's have fun. Let's have fun. Lots of fun.